0: but really just the K through 12. I just want to have you come down and sit on the stage with me for a minute. So come now, that would be great. Come on down. Try to make a little more room for you. Come on up, you gotta sit facing me. You gotta sit facing me, boys. Oh, or you can sit on the couch, that's good. I I didn't think about the couch. How about we sit on the floor (laughs) facing me? (laughs) On the floor facing me, wow. Wow. You guys come in. We got room. Come on. Keep coming in. Come on in. Don't be way back there. Come on in here. Come on. See all this empty space? It's just like church. Nobody wants to be in the front row. Come on. Come on. Make room. Come on in. Come on in. So two things are going to happen here in the next few minutes. Uh, I wanna pray for you and pray for school. You're all getting ready to start school. Some of you started school probably last week, depending on where you go. So we just wanna pray over you and pray that you have a great school year that God uses you to have impact. Uh, And then we're gonna watch a two and a half minute video. Uh, It may be the only two and a half minutes that you're paying attention to me for the rest of this service. But uh, at the end of the video, I just wanna ask you a couple questions. So you're gonna need to pay attention to the video and listen to the dialogue in the video so that you can answer the questions. Sound fair? So first, I'm gonna pray for you and then we're gonna watch the video. So, Lord, I just pray uh, for our students. I pray that you would pour out your favor in them, that they would grow in wisdom and stature and favor with men. I pray that they would have an impact not just on their classmates but on their teachers. Lord, I just pray that you would use them to change the world, starting with their families and their schools. I pray that they would know that you have called them to the classroom that they're in, that you have have placed them there so that they could have impact and that they would just uh, walk with you uh, just bless them as they start school in Jesus' name, Amen. So we're gonna watch this video, and you need to pay close attention. Tell me that was attention. your stomach? I'm sure it was just thunder from under ground. Up with me. I would if you were moving. Wow, I wish I could jump like that. Wish granted. Ah! Come on, move faster. Have you noticed the river of lava? Okay? Come on, come on, say something. Anything! <coughs> what? What? I can't hear you. You're standing on my trunk. Oh. <gasps> oh, you're okay! Are oh, you okay? Why did you do that? You could have died trying to save me. That's what you do in a herd. You look out for each other. Well, thanks. I don't know about you guys, but. We are the weirdest herd I have ever seen. Yeah. All right. So the, the question I wanna ask is, why am I stuck to this chair? There. Why would the mastodon, I think that was a mastodon, I don't think it was an elephant, right? Wouldn't that be a mastodon? A woolly mammoth, thank you. I'm glad you're here. That's, that's why we have you. Why would a woolly mammoth risk his life? Right. That's my question, Josh. Why? Why do you think he would risk his life? Because you said because he's in a pack, and that's what packs do for each other. So that's excellent answer. Yep. Can we make this work? Is it working now? How about that? I always do that. Like that really tells me anything. Okay. I was going to say because um, the, um, all, all three of them are literally part of like two other movies, so they literally have to be so they act so to so so together. They have to be there, because uh, then if they weren't, then the other movies wouldn't make sense if one of them died. That's brilliant! <laughs> that, that is an engineer in the making. Hey buddy, how are you? I love that question. So what do you think the emotion was that the elephant sort of character was feeling? Anybody want to say, what is he feeling? Why would he, yeah, what, oh, do you want the mic? Yeah. Um, um, Give me the mic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last question. What is the emotion that he's feeling? Why would he risk his life? I have that. No, you can't have that, because I have to preach in a minute. But good answer. Anybody know? You guys are cracking me up. What's the emotion, you think? Oh, um, scared, probably. Oh, he was definitely scared. Um, he wanted to help his friend. Why, why? Why did he want to help his friends? Ah, oh, that's the answer, because he cared about him, because he loved him. So who does that remind you of? Is there somebody that we know that risked his life, that actually laid down his life for us? Ah, oh, here we are in church. It's, it's the Sunday school answer. Go with it. Jesus, yes, that's it. So we're going to talk about this idea of one weird herd for the next few minutes. Um, but I'm going to have to ask you to go back to your seat because I can't be this distracted <laughs> while trying to preach. Thank you. Okay, go back to your seat. You got to go back to seat. You got to go back and sit down. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> He's okay. It's like, it's like having the elder sit behind you, you know, it's perfect. Oh, boy, goodness. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can recover from that, but uh, glad you're here. Kids say the darndest things. I never know where it's gonna go when we have the kids on here. So the, really the phrase that uh, caught my attention in that video clip is that idea of just one weird herd. Right? We're just one weird herd. And I think it's a good description of us. Yes. As a church, um, we are a strange, uh, fairly uncommon group of people. When you think about the mosaic that God has brought together, uh, Grace, uh, we're just we're just an odd collection of people. But I think it's exactly uh, what God wants. As a matter of fact, I think if we go back and we look at the early church, uh, we discover that that is what God wanted. That the early church was uh, was was. People that would come together and they would meet in in homes, but it was rich and poor, it was slaves and actually slave owners that were in the room. We see that from some of the letters. It was uh, Jews and Gentiles, it was rich and poor, it was business owners and their coworkers, so it's just this amazing mix of people. I've showed you this chart uh, many times uh, but it's worth holding on to. Uh, this is kind of the picture of the ancient world. This is Jesus' day. This is how the class structure was set up. And obviously, the people on the top held the most power. And as you came down that pyramid, if you will, the, the further down you were, the less power you had. And, and this was really... Uh, just a way of controlling people. Anytime you have a class system, that's the purpose of a class system is to, to exact control and power over other people. But, but so you had the governing class. In most cases, when we read the scriptures, the, old, the New Testament especially, that's the Romans, right? They were the governing class. Then you had the religious leaders who had an enormous amount of powers and in many cases were uh, politically connected to the governing class. And so they held a lot of power, which is part of the reason why they killed Jesus. Part of it was because that's what God ordained and how it was supposed to happen. But what was going on in their spirit was they were losing power. They were losing control. They had to squelch this man who was turning the hearts of the people away from their power structure and towards him. Then you have the merchants, and that's really just an economic thing. You have the peasants. Then you have the people who were unclean. Some of that was temporarily unclean. Some of that was permanently unclean. And the expendables. And what you find out is... Jesus spent the majority of his time really ministering to and hanging out with people in that lower two or three rungs. And that's why it was so scandalous that he was a friend to sinners because he was messing with the very system of power and control. And so, they were upset, but they were upset because he was messing things up. Not only did he live his life this way, but then he said to us in Luke 14, uh, starting in verse 13 through the beginning of verse 14, it says, but when you have a feast, invite the poor, this is Jesus talking, the crippled, the lame, the blind, those are the people on the bottom rung. The poor, the blamed, the crippled, the blind, those were the people that were cursed by God and at least that's what the people thought and, and they were untouchable, they were expendable. And Jesus said, no, that's who you invite into your house and that's who you have a meal with and then you're gonna be blessed because they can't repay you. Don't do things because people can reciprocate power. Don't invite people because you know you can extract something from them. Invite them so that you can love on them, so that you can serve them, so that I can change your heart towards them. And then Jesus gathered this really strange group of misfits and outcasts, and and it was a weird tribe. So he has, just think about this, he has on his his leadership team, his 12, a zealot, right, who's who's somebody who wants to overthrow the the governing class, and he has a tax collector, someone who's aligned with and in bed with, for lack of a better word, the governing class. And he says, no, we're going to be... A tribe, we're going to live together for the next three years, we're going to function together for the next three years, and we're going to learn how to let go of that class system and to live a different sort of way. So the movie dialogue in the, in the, that comes out is just, uh, we're just one, or that's what herds do, right? When you, once you become a herd, once you get to that place, you're connected, and then the second line is, they look out for each other something about the C group movement that allows you to be in a home, to be in a place where you can know each other more than you're ever gonna get to know each other on a Sunday morning, and then you begin to look out for one another. You begin to actually build one another up. So what I'm gonna do for the next few minutes is I'm just gonna try to answer two questions. Why does Grace need C groups? Why are we putting so much energy into C groups? and why should you be in one? So grab your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter two. I'm gonna start reading in verse 42. While you're looking for that, I just wanna kinda set it up a little bit, but what we are reading in Acts two is the very beginnings of the church. It is what I would call the first generation church. By that I mean this is the group of people that Jesus taught himself, now doing the very thing that Jesus taught him. And anytime you're looking at a first generation thing, you're gonna realize that that is gonna be the most like the master intended. So I used this analogy last night, I couldn't tell if it worked, but I'm gonna use it again and we'll see. But just imagine that I am going to teach a group of people how to be musky fishermen in Lake St. Clair. And so for the next three years, we're going to go fishing every single day, and I'm going to teach them where to put the fishing poles, and I'm going to teach them how far to put put the baits and what kind of baits to use and what baits to use on different weather conditions and how to reel the fish in and how to make sure your lines don't get tangled and what speed to troll at and and all of that, right? So I'm going to teach them everything I know about muskie fishing for three years, And then I'm going to set them off to be musky fishermen. At the end of three years, those gentlemen or or women that, that become musky fishermen are going to fish very much like I fish, right? They're going to have learned from me. But if they taught somebody who then taught somebody who then taught somebody, and let's say we're 15 generations, chances are there would be a lot of changes to how the 15th generation of musky fishermen fish as opposed to the first generation. So there's value in us realizing that and saying, well, if this is how the people who were taught directly by Jesus did it, then maybe we should do it the same way. He's a pretty smart guy. He knows what we should do. So when we read Acts, we ought to be asking ourselves, what did they do and what ought we to be doing to emulate the same thing? Now, for the record, uh, I am not a master musky fisherman, so if that's part of what you're after, and I won't be teaching anybody to musky fish, so... It was just an illustration. I don't want any letters about when are we going fishing. Anyway, all right, Acts 2, starting in verse 42. It says, and they, this is the church, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as they have needs. This would be what we call our benevolent fund. That's why we do it. And day by day, attending in the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And all the Lord added to their numbers day by day, those who were being saved. Let me pray for us. Lord, I just pray in these next few minutes that you would Uh, use my words, that you would use the spirit of God to plant seeds of truth in our heart that would grow and bear fruit a hundredfold. We pray the same prayer every week, that we would leave different than we came because we've stood in the presence of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a lot in this passage that I can't talk about for the sake of time, but I do wanna draw your attention to, to two particular areas. So if you look at the very first verse, it says that they, that they were together, they devoted themselves to teaching and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And there's no question, the scholars would all agree, that this is a reference to communion. This is a reference to the Eucharist or the Lord's table. Whatever tradition you grew up in, that taking of the bread and the wine or the, the juice as a way of stopping and examining your heart and remembering, what Jesus did for us on the cross and Jesus said every time you're together do this and remember me so it's a it's a picture of coming together and just so you know communion was always intended to be a a vehicle a venue uh, an opportunity for us to strengthen the community that is the church because that's why it says if you have any angst with your brother if you have any problems if you know that your heart isn't right get right with God before you come down so you're 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 increasing your communion with God and at the same time you're you're com- increasing your communion or your connection to one another so every time they came together they were to to break bread and to to pray but then if you go all the way down to verse 46 and I I don't have time to break it all down, but the way the sentence is structured, almost all Greek scholars would agree, when it says the breaking of bread in their homes, they're not talking about communion. They're talking about a shared meal. They're referring to coming together outside of the temple. So if you read this, and again, there's more here than we can talk about, but you see them coming together in big church, in the temple. Listening to the apostles' teaching, right? So there's something about gathering that's important. That's one of our six essentials that you make the weekend gathering a priority. But they also connected, which is the second of our six essentials, to one another beyond the large gathering in the home. So when people say the early church was just a bunch of home churches, that is both true and its false. Because if you look at this, they gathered and they connected. But when they connected together in the home, they had a meal together, they, they talked to one another. You gotta remember, in the ancient world, inviting somebody to the table was akin to saying, you are with me, you are my friend, you are important to me. That's why it was scandalous, because Jesus was inviting the wrong people in the other people's minds to the table, right? So there's something about this coming together, being together, that makes a huge difference in the lives of the people. And I think that if you read into this passage what what, what it's saying, that that this becomes the catalyst for the growth that the early church experienced. So look at verse 47. Because they're welcoming people into their home in an uncommon way, a strange, weird herd of people are getting together and falling in love with one another. Verse 47 says, in praising God and having favor with all the people, not just the ruling class, but all the people, the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. They found favor with the people because they were open to the, all the people. And so we have this beautiful picture of a mosaic sitting at the table and eating together and learning from one another. They learned what it means to care for one another. And I thought about the lot this week. Like, it wasn't just that the rich learned to care for the poor. It's that they fell in love with their brothers and sisters, and, it's, and the poor fell in love with the rich, and the slaves with the slave owners, and I don't even know how to say that without feeling dirty, I mean, I just, I know it's a different thing, but that's part of the early church, it's a, but they came together, they learned from one another, and they grew in their affection for one another, and so what ends up happening in just a, a few short years, a couple centuries, the church is different, it's these, these groups of people that are loving on one another, and there's this apocalyptic plague that lands on Rome, 5,000 people a day are dying from the plague. Uh, some people think it was probably smallpox, but that really doesn't matter. But it was just sweeping through Rome and people are dying in masses. And anybody that could left Rome. And they went out to the countryside where they could get away from this, this disease that was spreading throughout Rome. But there was a group of people who stayed behind and it was the Christians. And the Christian conquest of Rome didn't come by a sword. It, it came by preaching the gospel and through acts of love. Right, this radical love, it became the genesis for turning Rome on its head. The bishop of the city of Rome in that time was quoted as saying this, it's fascinating to me, he said, all day long, some of them, he's talking about the Christians, uh, tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from the famine and distributed bread to them all. He continues to say that the Christians' deeds were on everyone's lips. They glorified God. The Christian deeds were on everyone's lips. Everyone saw this radical group of people, like, stepping in and caring for one another because they had become this weird herd. They had fallen in love with one another. They had a different value for people in life. So then they show up, and they, 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 the, their deeds are on everyone's lips, and they glorified the God of the Christian's. That's pretty powerful. These are the Romans who have all kinds of gods, but they glorify the God of the Christian. Such actions convince them that they alone were pious and truly reverent to God. So the question we're chasing after today is, why does grace need C groups? And the reason is because it's what the, how the church was created to function. It's a critical part of growing up, and it's a critical part of us reaching our community with the gospel. But there's more. So if you still have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 11. Here the Apostle Paul is explaining to us how God equips us to care for one another, how he equips us to make disciples in our church. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, he said, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, don't miss this, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the context of this passage is growing up right the whole context is how do we become mature in Christ how do we how do we become who God intended us to be and the interesting thing about it is often this passage is read and because he uses these words like apostle prophet evangelist shepherd and teacher that we have made this assumption that what Paul is saying is those people who stand on the stage, those people who work in the church, those people who have those titles that I just used, their job is to equip us to be saints for the ministry. But he's not saying that at all. As a matter of fact, every time Paul talks about spiritual gifts, and that's what he's talking about, he uses a different list. And I think he must have been intentional about that because he didn't want us to get caught up in what the list is. But what he wanted us to see is that everyone brings their gifts to the table to help everyone else. Look at verse 12, it says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. If you've been here for the last several weeks, we walked through 1 Peter, the name of the series was Everyday Saints, and who are the saints? You are, you are the saints, so you are the ones who are called to do the work of the ministry. Right? In, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, to, he's talking about spiritual gifts again, and he says to the people, he says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one, that's all of you, should have a hymn or a lesson or a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Let these done, be, things be done for what purpose? For the building up of the body. Who needs to be built up? We do, myself included. Who are the saints? You are. And who is going to do the building up? You are. And it doesn't mean I don't have a job. It doesn't mean I'm not supposed to still prepare a sermon and this, this isn't a part of it. Remember, there was a gathering and then there was meetings in the home. But the thing that I think if you, if you step back from this and you look at it, it may be a paradigm shift for you is we are called to bring our spiritual gifts to bear with one another for the very purpose of building one another up. And the truth of the matter is that can't happen on Sunday morning. There's only so many of us that can exercise our spiritual gifts on Sunday morning. The majority of you are just receiving what the gifts that we've been given. And that's a good thing. But in a small group setting, in a C group setting, all of the gifts are brought into into bear. All of the gifts are used. All of the gifts happen for the very purpose of making disciples and building one another up. C-groups are a place where everyone's gifts can be put into play. If you have the gift of teaching, you can teach. If you have the gift of hospitality, you can be hospitable. If you, have, if you have the gift of helps, if you have the gift of prophecy and God gives you words for people, what better place than in a living room where you're sitting together, where you can listen, God, what do you want to say to my friend? What are you saying? And you can encourage them. If you have the gift of encouragement, it's a great place for you to bring that. It's, it is where we will learn to build one another up. So why does grace need C-groups? Why should you be in a C group? Because we're a weird tribe. And when we come together in the living rooms, we're gonna learn to love each other with radical love and we're gonna learn to pour into one another the very gifts that God has given us for the very purpose of calling us to be who we should be. Being in a C group is a great place to deploy what God has given you for the betterment of all of us. So we have a mission statement here at Grace. What is our mission statement? All right, how about one more time together? We are? We are a mosaic. We are a weird herd. That's what the mosaic means. And we are striving to live like Jesus. And if you look at our passage from Ephesians in verse 13, it says that we need to mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We need to grow to the measure and the stature to be like Jesus. And if you don't show up we don't get to be all that God has called us to be. You get that? That's what Paul says over and over. When one part of the body isn't functioning, the whole body suffers, right? When when one part of the gifts isn't put into play, then we can't reach our full redemptive potential. We become who God has called us to be when all of us bring the gifts God has given us to the table for the purpose of loving and building one another up. We are a weird herd, but we're God's herd. Sea groups are where we're gonna learn to look out for and care for one another. It's what herds do. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Paul's writings. I thank you for uh, the story of Acts that we can see the early church and how it functioned. I pray as we launch this C Group movement here in in September that you would just uh, pour out your spirit, that we would have amazing conversations, that the groups would be diverse, male, female, black, white, rich, poor, young, old, that we would sink into what you have for us through this. Lord, we just ask that you would continue to tug at our hearts and tell us where to go and and how to move, you would direct our steps. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. So in the next couple weeks, uh, hopefully by next weekend we are in the process of building it. scheduled to be launched, but there'll be a website uh, where you can just go on and you can literally shop for your C group, you can see where they meet, when they meet, what their DNA is, you'll be able to click on it, they'll go right to the group leader, so just stay tuned for that. But if you know you wanna be in a C group, don't hesitate to go to the community corner and let them know, we have a group of Incredibly talented people that want to be with you and pray with you down here. So if you have any physical, spiritual needs, if you just need some encouragement, we'd love for you to come down and we'd love to just sit with you and pray with you. God bless you. Have a great Labor Day weekend. You want me to send that to you? I was blinded. You gave me eyes to see. I was going. You reached out to me I know that